The Mariners get swept at home after winning 14 straight. The Astros are showing the world that they could be the best team in all of baseball. And the Mets are barely hanging on to first place. Next up for them, the team with the best record in the sport, their crosstown rivals, the Yankees. I'll have all of what's happening in baseball as we come out of the All-Star break firing. A blockbuster trade in the NHL. The Celtics flirting with Kevin Durant. Another quarterback signs a huge contract as training camp opens this week. But there's another young quarterback that's still looking to get paid. Speaking of huge contracts, Georgia coach Kirby Smart is getting paid how much and for how many years? Kicking off the final week of July with fiery, passionate sports talk as always from yours truly. It's all coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? is happening my good people greetings how are you how's it going how's everybody doing out there what is the latest and greatest hope everybody's well feeling fantastic in excellent spirits is it too hot for you out there guys and gals i can't get enough of this weather as we've experienced just in the northeast alone six straight days of 90 degree plus weather i believe it's going to hit at least 90 today so it'll be seven straight days i'm sure wherever you may be on this planet you've been feeling the heat as well But now let's get ready for some more sizzle in your speakers or earbuds because I'm ready to turn up the temperature to the max on all that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. I got a few things cooking here on this hot July Monday where we have the Celtics, as I wake up this morning and on my timeline, I see that they're in discussions with Kevin Durant. You know that I have more than a few things to say about that. Later on in the podcast, I'll touch on that, as well as the big trade in the NHL between Calgary and Florida, where Matt Kachuk goes from the Flames to the Panthers, and then Jonathan Huberdeau goes to Calgary. Blockbuster trade indeed. I'll break it all down as the Panthers have now revamped And pretty much a wholesale change, not only as coach, but also with a key member of their team. I'll even touch on the NFL training camp opening up throughout the rest of the country as early as tomorrow. 
Kyler Murray gets his big deal, $230 million, five years. I'll dissect that as well as Lamar Jackson because he is the last young quarterback that is looking to get paid and we haven't heard anything about it. So my two cents on that and all else that's going on in the world of sports. But of course, since we are in the middle of summer, baseball is going to be the hot topic. And what I want to do is focus on a few teams that have come out of the break that we've been keeping an eye on, that we've discussed even on the podcast last Monday. And I even touched on it a little bit Thursday when we did a second half preview of the sport. And some of these signs, granted it's three games, granted it's a weekend, I know we can't get crazy and start going too nuts about what happened over the course of three or four days. But some developments that have taken into shape here as we get ready to start off this week. And I'm going to start with the Seattle Mariners. Because as we know, the Mariners had won 14 in a row going into the All-Star break. We thought that this streak was going to end. They had the Astros coming into their building. Granted, the Astros had a nine and a half game lead in the division, so you didn't have to worry about that. But there was no way that we would think that the Mariners were going to run the table to the point where they would have won 17 in a row when you wake up this morning and then only be about six and a half games back in the AL West. As it was, the Mariners, not only did they get swept by the Astros, they did not have a lead throughout the course of the weekend. Julio Rodriguez, who's going to be the AL Rookie of the Year, barring an injury, which he was scratched out of the lineup Friday due to a wrist ailment. And unless his season just goes up in smoke, he's the front runner to win that award this year. But by them not really showing up throughout the course of the weekend, and think about this, the Astros had a doubleheader in their building against the Yankees on Thursday to where the Astros won both games, they had to get on a plane, fly to Seattle, and with the Mariners already rested, raring to go to have their second half of the season get off to a good start to continue that winning streak. And what happens? It went poof, right up in smoke to the point where they're currently 12 and a half back in the division. So you can forget about that. Not that that was in play by any stretch of the imagination, but for the Mariners to come out of that weekend with a flat dud. I'm not going to sit here and say that it says a lot about their team, says a lot about their season. Yes, they were due to lose. They were due to go into a little bit of a funk, but now wasn't the right time to try to measure yourself against an Astro team who is as hot as a pistol. And what could you say? The Mariners were just not ready for primetime. That's all there is to it. So you have to ask yourself, did the break hurt the Mariners considering that they were on such a roll? But we knew that whether they had a couple days off, a week off, five days off, whatever it may be, this was going to come back down to earth as far as not only just their winning streak, but also their play and everything that has transpired here over the last two and a half weeks. They're still in good position when it comes to the wild card, and we'll take a look at that later on. But you have to wonder, with them going to Houston now to wrap up their season series against them, because they've already played 15 games and they'll conclude their season series against them this coming weekend at Minute Maid. So they don't, won't have to worry about having to face the Astros after the 31st of this month. But just in the way that the Astros performed against them and how they were able to just do away with the Mariners as if they were taking candy away from a baby, this is something that we'll just have to keep in mind as to how the Mariners will play here, not only coming out of this weekend, battered, bruised, a little bit scarred, but will this now seep into the clubhouse? Will there be any doubt 
will there be now a stretch where they lose 8 of 11 or go into a tailspin? That's something we're going to have to keep in mind here. On the flip side of that, the Astros, there isn't anything else that you could say about this team, about not only how they performed, but they have risen to the occasion when they absolutely have to. And we have seen that here just in the past month, whether it was beating the Mets the way they did, sweeping them four straight on two separate series, beating the Yankees pretty much four straight at Yankee Stadium. Remember, the Yankees had those two walk-off wins to bookend the... 3-1 game on a Friday night, and then the combined no-hitter on a Saturday. And then what did they do coming out of the break? They not only sweep the Yankees, as I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, but then they go to Seattle and do what they did to where Justin Verlander, he is ageless at this moment because he is going to win another Cy Young, barring an epic collapse. 13 wins under his belt, coming off of the Tommy John surgery, 39 years of age. It looks like it's Justin Verlander of 10 years ago when he won an MVP and just led the Tigers to the postseason, didn't go far, but Verlander is on that level when it comes to the way he's been pitching. And with the Yankees having the best record in the sport, and the Astros are just a game and a half behind them, this, I'm sure, they're going to gun for. We understand they're a veteran team, we understand that they're probably not going to look at them wanting to get the best record or to have the home field, because how they look at it is if they could play on the moon, and it could be against the Yankees, and nothing's going to phase them. But I would think that considering the way they've been playing, and also with the Yankees coming back to earth just a little bit, although they did win two out of three in Baltimore after the sweep in Houston on Thursday, but with their sights set on a number one seed, and knowing that if they do get the best record in the American League, that it has to go through Houston, and that they'll have the home field, If they do play the Yankees in an ALCS, I'm sure that's going to bode well for them and obviously put a lot of doubt into the Yankee fans and the Yankee organization's mind as it is. They're living rent-free, the Astros that is, in the Yankees' memories as we currently speak. Brian Cashman to this day is still toiling about what happened in 2017 and how we should have been in the World Series facing the Dodgers. Nonsense. That's over and done with. Worry about what you can control now. And as we speak, the Astros are pretty much put themselves in a position to where they could be a number one seed. Granted, there's still 60-some-odd games to go. Granted, we still have more than two months of baseball to be played. But the Astros, you have to wonder whether or not that they're going to be concerned about getting this number one seed. I don't think overall, if you ask me in my gut, but there's a part of me that does feel there's a lot of pride in that locker room. Although they haven't won a World Series in five years, but there's a pedigree, there's a track record, we know who the players are, and Dusty, I think, is on a mission to win a World Series, finally, after all these years managing, whether it was in San Francisco, Chicago, Cincinnati, Washington, you name it, he's been at a bunch of stops where he's made it to the postseason and has not won a World Series, and I'm sure that the players are rallying around Dusty to finally get that World Series title just for their skipper. So that's number two. When it comes to what's going on, not only just in the AL West, but some of the things that we need to pay attention to coming out of the break. The other thing is the AL East. And if you're a Red Sox fan, to my guy, JD, my old radio partner, it is looking bleak in Beantown. Because if you didn't play against the AL East, and of course you can't avoid that, as we well know. They play in a division where it's the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Rays, and obviously the Orioles. But for the Red Sox... Their record in the AL East is a putrid 12-29. and 29. 
Which means that their record against everybody else, if you can even imagine, is 36 and 17. So if they didn't play the AL East for the rest of the year, I'm sure they would be up in arms saying, Woo, thank God we don't have to worry about playing those other four teams because a 12 and 29 record, not only isn't it cutting it, but you don't deserve to make it to the postseason if your division record is that awful. They lost the back end of the series at Yankee Stadium last week to the tune where they gave up, what was it, 11 and 13 runs in back-to-back games. The game on Friday against Toronto, they gave up 28 and 11 in one inning. When I saw the score, I thought it was a CFL meets NFL football game when I saw the final was 28 to 5. And then the Blue Jays just swept the Red Sox out of Fenway to the point where you have to wonder whether or not they're going to be sellers here when it comes to the trade deadline because you have two guys in particular, J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts that are going to be free agents after this year. And you got to wonder whether or not Hein Bloom, the vice president of baseball operations, is considering trading off his two big pieces in his lineup to where he could get some sort of capital back and pretty much will have to revamp from the bottom up, which seems to be the Red Sox MO year after year. It seems like they could be in last place or close to last place one year, and then the next year they're winning a World Series or they're going to an ALCS. It's almost as if it's a seesaw from one year to the next when it comes to this Red Sox team. And now you have to wonder whether or not that they're going to start parting ways with some of their key players on this team that have won a World Series, that have been a part of this organization for many years, all for the sake of not getting anything in return because once the season is over, they could choose to be on another team next year without any compensation. And I understand the Red Sox front office They're thinking long and hard about this because they do not want to have games in August and September meaningless, although the fans will still come out, but there's not going to be a lot of fire, there's not going to be a lot of passion when it comes to their team being in a pennant race, and they're still in a wild card race as it is. But we all know that if they do happen to part with those two players or any other player for that matter, they're going to be throwing up the white flag to their fan base to say, we'll be back in 2023. And I don't know if they're ready to do that just yet, but I'm sure that is something that is keeping them up long and hard late nights to see if they're going to start pulling the trigger on some trades here. And then Toronto's all of a sudden gotten hot. Let's see if they can continue to play well. The Blue Jays, it seems like from one week to the next, whether it's the Orioles that are flying high or now the Blue Jays flying high, the Red Sox at one point were playing well. And then speaking of the Orioles, now you have to wonder whether or not this could be, I'm not going to say the beginning of the end, but now they've hit the skids here to the point where they've lost four out of six since they won 10 in a row. They lose two out of three over the weekend. Although the Saturday game was nice, they were losing three, nothing. And then they scored six unanswered to win six to three. But Aaron Judge, I believe just hit another home run and they're not even playing right now. He has 37 home runs to lead all of baseball and they get shut out in their building yesterday. So the Orioles... They have the Rays coming into their ballpark this week. And the Rays, who did not play well in Kansas City, losing the back two of a three-game series to the dreadful Royals. So Tampa, they've now stubbed their toe here. And this is a big series, I think, for Baltimore. A split doesn't do you anything. And a sweep would do wonders, but I don't think they're going to do that. In order for the Orioles to stay in this race, they have to at least win three out of four. Or at least to make you believe for another weekend or maybe for another week 
that they're going to hang around here in this wild card race. Because if Tampa goes in there and wins three out of four or even sweeps them, then their ship's going to be out to sea for the rest of this year if you're an Oriole fan. At least that's what I think. Because like I mentioned last week, when you are a team that is learning to win and you go through a 10-game winning streak the way they did to get above 500, and currently they're a game under 500, you had to work long and hard just to get to that point, to the point where you can make yourself a little bit relevant in this wild card mix, and then to take not just a step back, but if you're going to take two, three, or maybe even four steps back, then you have to pretty much go through another long winning streak to get yourself back above water. That is a lot to ask for a young team, a team that is not really built for a postseason, that's not ready to win just yet, maybe two, three years down the road. But for right now, to ask them to, let's say, go four or five games under 500 and then have to reel off another seven, eight, nine, or dare I even say a 10-game winning streak, it's going to be a lot to ask. And then in the National League, the two teams that really stick out over the weekend One are the Philadelphia Phillies. Not only did the Phillies, who went into the break after they swept the Marlins last weekend, and there were six over 500, and behind the Braves and the Mets in the division, and still decent shape for the wild card, but to get swept by the Cubs at home. And the Cubs, as we all know, they have been pitiful. To the tune where you had Nick Castellanos, their outfielder, approached by a reporter in the locker room after Saturday's game, Asking him, what do you think about the booze? Because Castellanos has had a nightmare of a year. I believe he's batting 240. He has eight home runs. Coming off of a year in Cincinnati where he had 34 and 100. And I believe he batted 309. And he's underachieved by far. So when the reporter asked him about the booze, do you hear them? And then Castellanos responded by saying that's a stupid question. To where the reporter actually got a little bit aggressive. Pointing his finger at him. Raising his voice a little bit to where the PR person had to shut down the interview session. But that's what's going on in Philly at the moment, to where you got to wonder, after the firing of Joe Girardi and the Phillies have played well under Rob Thompson, the new manager, but coming out of the break the way they did and to lose three games like that, and then guess what? You have the Braves coming into your building for three. Now's when you really have to turn it on if you're a Philly fan, because if not, as far as the division goes, you're going to be bye-bye for the rest of this summer. They're still in decent position for the wild card. We'll talk about that in a little bit as we go through both the American League and National League. But the Phillies at this present moment, not looking good out of the break. And the same could be said for the San Francisco Giants. Talk about a tale of two seasons. And we all know from one year to the next, it could be high, mighty, and impenetrable as far as any adversity, as far as any long losing streaks. And for the Giants last year, it was the ultimate regular season magic carpet ride to the point where they won 107 games, even though they barely won a division by one game when you think about it. But at 107 and 55, and thinking that they had career years all over the place for many players, and then turn the calendar to 2022, and after this weekend in LA where they get swept out of Chavez Ravine, they're now one game over 500 and are eight losses away from matching the 55 losses from last year. And the Giants, although still hanging around for a wild card, and you would think that as long as they're hanging around, will they go far in October as of right to second? How could you even think that? But the Giants are 
stumbling, bumbling, and fumbling their way out of the break to the point where you wonder if they're going to be long for the season, even though the National League and their pursuit for the wild card is pretty much a handful of teams, but they're one of those handful. And with the Phillies coming back to the pack, as well as the Cardinals coming back to the pack and not playing well, and then you have the scenario here with the Giants, who knows? Maybe they're going to win a wild card spot by default because of how the other teams in the National League wild card race are playing. And then the other team, and I know people are going to say, oh boy, here goes Jay Reels. Now time to get on his Met soapbox to talk about his beloved team. And the only reason why I say them is because of this. Yesterday was a scenario when you woke up and you had your Cheerios that the Braves could have taken over first place. And as it stands right now, the Mets actually gained a game in the standings with the Braves losing to the Anaheim Angels and then the Mets winning last night against the Padres, salvaging the three-game series against San Diego. And for them to now have a a one-and-a-half game lead, the Braves go to Philadelphia starting tonight. So even tomorrow, they'll wake up still in first place. But with the Yankees on deck tomorrow and Wednesday night, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but you have to wonder, will this Met lead slip to the point where by Thursday they could be out of first place? And the only reason why I say that is because the psyche of this team. And I don't want to hear that they've been in first place from the start. They're not going to relinquish it. I don't want to hear that Jacob DeGrom is on the mend. When he's on a major league pitching mound, then I'll believe it. Because as of right this second, I am concerned and even borderline worried about Jacob DeGrom. But that's a story for another day. As he's going to have a rehab start tomorrow night. And let's see what that bodes as far as him being back with the Major League squad sometime in the not-too-distant future. But with the injuries starting to creep up, they've already made a couple of trades. People want to say that they're starting to panic a little bit because they had no offense since the 8 nothing win in Wrigley last Thursday. They barely won two of the final three remaining games. They lost the final game, of course, in Wrigley, but they barely won that day-night doubleheader in Wrigley last Saturday. They had one run scored on Friday. They had one run scored on Saturday. Yeah, they had a bit of an explosion there yesterday, thanks to Pete Alonso. But by bringing in Daniel Vogelbach, the DH, the hefty DH at that matter, and then also a catcher from Pittsburgh in two separate deals for Michael Perez, it does wreak a little bit of desperation because Vogelbach, he is a left-handed bat. He does have power. He did have a hit last night. Is he the end-all, be-all? Absolutely not. Not to say that the Mets had to bring in a player that was going to extend that lineup, that was going to be the final bopper to that lineup. But am I sold on Vogelbach in a big spot? I am not. And then the other thing is, too, all right, so you bring in Perez. We know James McCann has been on the shelf pretty much the whole year. Thomas Nito, we know he's a great defensive catcher, but he doesn't give you much offensively. Why can't the Mets bring up Francisco Alvarez, their prized possession, down at AAA? He's a guy that I'm sure is not expected to do much in this lineup. And to me, this would be similar to what the Mets did back in 2015 when they brought up Michael Conforto, if you remember, late July, around this time, before the Yoannis Cespedes trade. And to bring him up, To be a backstop here for the final two months of the season, he's already caught Jacob DeGrom. He's already caught Max Scherzer. So not to say that there's 100% comfortability there, but at least there is some familiarity with the young rookie. 
put him in the lineup, have him bat 7th or 8th, maybe he'll give you a contribution. I'm sure it's going to be a lot better than what McCann has done and certainly what Nito has done. Why not bring him up? And I don't want to hear him in trade talks, as I read over the past week, where one of the local reporters here for the Post of the Daily News said that Alvarez is going to be included in a trade come the deadline next week. Why are we doing this? We do not have a catcher. I could see if you had a guy that was going to be the backstop for the next three years to where, all right, I could see it was a scenario where you could use Alvarez as that chip to bring in a big pitcher or a big bat. Okay, understood. But McCann is not your answer, and I don't care with two more years left on his contract and $20 million, you saw what they did to Robinson Cano for twice the price. They could do the same to McCann. So let's start there. And Nito, he's your backup catcher. You keep him on the roster, no problem. Bring in Alvarez. What are we waiting for? And I'm not trying to make Alvarez to be the savior here by any means. But all this talk about putting him on ice, or maybe they don't want to start the free agency clock on him, give me a break. Bring him up. There's your catcher. Michael Perez, no offense. I've never seen him play in my life. I'm sure he's going to be an added bonus. But you already have a guy sitting there that is raking throughout the minor leagues. Why not bring him up? I don't understand that. But again, I'm not a GM. And obviously that's way above my pay grade. But the Mets here, you have to wonder with these two trades that they made. Yankees on deck. And then they go to Miami for the weekend. And the Marlins, they play the Mets feisty. So, and they're going to face Sandy Alcantara over the weekend because he pitched yesterday in Pittsburgh. So that's a game where you could say that the Marlins could win, advantage to them. But if you're a Mets fan right now, you have to be a little, I'm going to say worried. Because the Braves are still nipping at your heels. The Braves could be in first place by the time I get to the podcast on Thursday. And like I said, with the Yankees coming into City Field over the next two days, And who knows if Scherzer is going to pitch on Wednesday. He will be due to pitch because he'll have his proper rest going into that game. You'll have Taiwan Walker pitch tomorrow. Of course, you want to win those two games. I'll take a split in any way, shape, or form. As a Mets fan, I do not want to get embarrassed. If you've heard the podcast in years past, even with the Mets as awful as they've been, you never want to get swept. You never want to get embarrassed. Get a split. I would love a sweep. That would be fantastic. But... Mets, you have to wonder here whether or not that they're going to go through these rough waters and if they do happen to get out of first place, how is this team going to respond? Different makeup here. I get it. And I've talked about this in the past. But again, when you're in first place all year long and let's say the Braves have a half game lead, game, game and a half, two games, let's say it becomes three games. That's when you're going to see the character of this ball club. Now, we're not there yet. But as a jaded and cynical Mets fan, would I be surprised by August 10th, or let's say August 9th, when the Mets and Braves do play? Or I think it's even earlier than that. I think it's the weekend after next, after the Marlins series, when they have that five-game series. And that is going to be, who. But would you be surprised? I wouldn't. And the beat goes on for the Dodgers. What more can you say about them? We just talked about them sweeping the Giants, 64-30, and 30, best record in the National League, and eight in a row. So there isn't much more that I could add to that when it comes to the Dodgers and how they performed here out of the break. Now, I'll get to the wildcard races here. The divisions, we pretty much know what's happening. 
pretty much close in the AL Central and NL Central. The AL West and the AL East, foregone conclusions. We don't have to worry about what's going on there. NL East, we just talked about that with the Mets and Braves. And the NL West, also a foregone conclusion as the Padres, although in second place, but 11 and a half back behind the Dodgers. So when we get to the wild card as of right this second, the Blue Jays have thrusted themselves to the point where they're a half game ahead of the Rays. They have the top spot in the American League wild card. And then you have Seattle after their rough weekend, and they were in the middle. They drop a game and a half behind the Tampa Bay Rays for the second place spot in the wild card. So the top three teams, Blue Jays, Rays, Mariners, followed by the Cleveland Guardians, who are currently just a game in the loss, but two behind them. White Sox, three games back. Red Sox, three games back. Orioles, three and a half. And then you have everybody else off of a cliff. But you do have, like I said, Tampa, Baltimore, huge series. They're currently separated by five in the loss, but four in the division and four in the wild card race. So this is a huge series for the Orioles, to say the least. Let's see how they perform over the next few days. And then in the National League, Braves flying high and comfortable, seven games ahead of the last place Cardinals. In the wild card race because they currently have a four game lead over San Diego, that they currently have the second place in the wild card. The Cardinals are three games behind the Padres for the second place, and the Cardinals hold the last spot in the wild card. Currently, a game ahead of the Phillies, two games ahead of the Giants, and you want to say the Marlins because they're five back? All right, I'll throw you the Marlins, even though they are five under 500. Marlins go to Cincinnati, so maybe they could. Win a couple of games here. Sweep? Is that out of the question for a young Marlins team? Well, they're not pitching their best pitcher. So that's something to be said as far as the Marlins go. But as of right this second, only five back. But they have a lot of ground to make up as far as to get themselves to 500. And that's pretty much what you have here with both the wild cards and the American and National League. Big weeks for a lot of teams. Obviously, the Phillies being one of them. They have to play the Braves. And they have not fared well against the Braves this year. Although they're going to be in their home ballpark. So maybe they can wipe off the stench of the Cub loss by beating up the Braves here over the next few days. And then as I mentioned, Tampa and Baltimore are your big series in the American League here as we get to the final week of July. And then the... Cooperstown ceremony yesterday, I did not watch. David Ortiz was the highlight as he's enshrined in Cooperstown. I know how popular Ortiz has been with the Fox coverage there, pregame and post. We know what type of player he was. I don't need to go through his resume and what he did in a Red Sox uniform, but congratulations to him. And then you had a lot of others, the Jim Cotts of the world, Buck O'Neill, a lot of other players who had made it into the hall after many years, and they were voted in by the Veterans Committee. So congratulations to all of them as the Cooperstown ceremony, the first one that we had here in July, going back to 2019. Of course, we had the pandemic in 2020. And then last year, the ceremony was, I believe, in early September, where Derek Jeter, of course, had his ceremony, Larry Walker, among other players. So now we could put that in our rearview mirror and look straight ahead to what lies in this baseball season with these pennant races. 
All right, so let me appease the NFL fan right now because training camps open up throughout the country tomorrow. And, of course, yours truly is not looking forward to the football season. Yes, come September 11th, not necessarily the 8th when Buffalo will play at the Rams to open up the NFL season. I'll be there that Sunday, especially Pittsburgh at Cincinnati. No, I won't be in the building, although that does sound good. And I do have a friend that's from Cincinnati, but that's neither here nor there. But once the NFL season kicks off that Sunday, then, yes, I will be waiting to see how it all unfolds as week one is what? Now less than six weeks away? Or seven weeks away? I don't know, but I'm not ready for football. I'm still in the middle of this heat. I'm still in the middle of this baseball season, the summer, etc. So it is the furthest thing from my mind. But again, for the NFL fan, let me entertain you as the big news coming out of the last few days has been Kyler Murray. As he agreed, five years, $230 million contract. No surprise, despite the fact that Murray, who had a 7-0 start to his team season last year, then got hurt in the middle of that, did not play well down the stretch, had bad games, whether it was at home on Christmas night against Indianapolis, the final game of the season against Seattle, and then the postseason game against the Rams. You couldn't have played as bad as he did, including that awful attempt to avoid a safety where he threw a pick six. And then, as was reported, him pulling himself out of the game against the Rams in that wild card scenario. Obviously not a good look to end your season, but of course he's going to get the big bucks. He's going to be a fixture there. There's no way that the Arizona Cardinals were going to start off training camp without extending their current quarterback. So now that he's happy and fresh as a daisy, and I'm sure all the talk is going to be about the mistakes from last year, a potential run through January to a Super Bowl. All the right things are going to be said here with Kingsbury in tow, the coach who also got an extension. And we'll see what Arizona does here as we get ready to start training camp tomorrow. But the bigger question to me is if you're Lamar Jackson in his camp, and I know that Jackson himself has been very aplomb has been actually almost matter-of-fact when it's come to his contract, saying that, oh, it's going to work out, paraphrasing, of course, that I'm not worried about it, I'm just here the ball. When it happens, it happens. He has said all the right things. He has been the antithesis of a lot of these guys where their contract is front and center and wants to get signed, wants to get the guaranteed money, wants to get the big payday, Understandably and rightfully so. But the Ravens, you would think, because he's been a good sport, because he's been a guy that has won an MVP, won one playoff game, has not been good in the other three, and last year was hurt and did not play down the stretch, you would think that they would have signed this guy on the dotted line back a year, maybe even two years ago, after he won that MVP. But now as it is, I'm sure he's hungry as hell to not only get into camp but to work, to bounce back from the injury plagued year he had last year. And who knows? What if he is a top five MVP candidate this coming year? And then what are they going to have to offer him come next offseason? They're going to have to give him close to a Patrick Mahomes like contract because $250 million and $160 million guaranteed is not going to cut it. And that's what. Kyler Murray got 
well, they got 230, but his guaranteed is 160. I'm sure Jackson is going to ask for the sun, moon, stars, the entire universe and solar system. And he would have every right to do that if he has a killer close to MVP year for 2022. Listen, I hope the Ravens don't sign him at all as a Steeler fan. But, of course, I'm not going to be stupid to think that they won't resign him. But you have to wonder, if you're a Raven fan, why are they taking their sweet time to sign their franchise quarterback? So, I'm sure a deal's probably going to be worked out under the radar. We're probably not going to hear about it. It's going to pop up on our ESPN timeline or wherever you follow sports and you're going to see breaking news, Lamar Jackson signs, whatever, 300 or 280 million with 185 million guaranteed. Then you're going to say, ah, well, there's the contract. I'm sure it's going to be under the radar. But you have to wonder, the media, the football media, they're going to be asking whether it's Jim Harbaugh, whether it's their GM, whether it's the owner, and even the player. Any news on your contract? And I'm sure Jackson's going to take the high road, but the front office is going to have to answer to that. And that's one thing, when all these young quarterbacks signed, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, of course Kyler Murray, the old veterans have signed, and Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford. I'm not in football mode, so I'm trying to think of another young quarterback that signed a big deal. You want to say Deshaun Watson, huh? And we all know that we have to wait and see on that as far as him playing this year. All these quarterbacks got their money. Lamar Jackson's on deck, and he's been waiting on deck. Now with cobwebs and mothballs. What are you waiting for, Raven front office? He's not going to take a hometown discount. So it's going to be fascinating to see how that shakes down here as we get to training camp here tomorrow. And on a college football note, Kirby Smart, the national champion Georgia Bulldog coach, signed a 10-year, $112 million deal And we all know it's not just for him coaching. That's also recruiting and everything behind the scenes. But boy, a college coach getting that much? I'm sure an NFL coach is salivating at that. And the NFL coach, let's face it, they're in at 4.30 in the morning and they're probably going home at midnight. Or in most cases, they're sleeping in their office around the clock, especially come this time at the start of training camp, pretty much through the combine. So you got to wonder, the NFL coach is saying, wait a minute, 10 for 112? And what am I making? Now listen, nobody's going to cry a foul or shed a tear for what the NFL coach makes because we all know it's not as if they're going to the poorhouse by any stretch. But we all know college, whether you're Nick Saban, whether you're Jimbo Fisher, whether you're Ryan Day, whether you're Lincoln Riley, the big bucks are going to go to those guys who are at those schools. But I know $112 million, I don't believe Lincoln Riley got that for USC. Yes, again, he's not looking for coins in his sofa cushions by any stretch, but man, Georgia, I get it. You finally won your national title. You finally got over the Alabama hump. And who am I to tell you what to pay Kirby Smart? But boy, that is a pretty penny and then some. And I get it. It's not just him coaching on the sidelines and getting his players ready for what they hope to do is to run it back again and maybe compete for another national title. But boy, 
Is that a little much for a college coach? I think it is. But who am I to say about that? I know Nick Saban's getting a fortune. I know all the other aforementioned coaches. Uh, But I don't know if they're getting $112 million. And that's all I'll say about that. Also, we found out that the Cleveland Browns, now that I think about it, Jimmy Garoppolo is not going to be in their plans as far as starting under center if they were to orchestrate a trade because they did sign Josh Rosen and A.J. McCarron to compete for the backup job as they've announced Jacoby Brissett's going to be their guy. Of course, if Deshaun Watson is going to get suspended, whether it be for the whole year or for 12 games, 13 games, whatever it may be. So Jimmy G, you got to wonder where his destination is going to be. Not a lot when you think about it because the NFL landscape at this current moment, unless a quarterback gets hurt, in which we all know the quarterbacks do not really participate during these exhibition games. Yes, they may play in the second game because with the three exhibition games, it used to be that the third game was the tune-up for the regular season. Now you have to wonder if even the second game or maybe even the third game is the tune-up for preparation for the long 17-game season. But Garoppolo, not a lot of choices. There's no way they're going to trade him to Seattle, which I'm sure they could use a quarterback if they want to compete. And when I say compete, maybe hang around for a 6th or 7th seed in the NFC. But I don't think they're going to trade with their division rivals. Other teams that come to mind, he's not going to go to Houston, even though they got that one kid, Davis Mills, there, who off the top of my head I think would be your starting quarterback. Obviously, he's not going to go to Jacksonville, not going to Indy. He's not going anywhere near the AFC North. He's not going to go to the AFC East. He's not going to go to the AFC West, obviously. NFC East. Washington already has their quarterback with Carson Wentz. He's not going to the Bears, Lions, nowhere else in the NFC West. There's not really a home for him. Maybe NFC South, if Atlanta's going to engage, but they signed Marcus Mariota. I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Although the 49ers have granted permission for Garoppolo to look elsewhere, there's not a lot out there. So who knows if he stays put or he gets dealt to a team that he doesn't really want to go to. So we shall see about that. You had a big trade as I segue to the NHL, put on my skates and lace them up where the Calgary Flames and Florida Panthers exchanged two of their key players. As far as Matt Kachuk, the former Flame, he said he wasn't going to resign with the Flames. In fact, he thought all along Florida is where he wanted to be. Why Florida? I have no clue. But okay, he gets his wish, gets traded to the Panthers for Jonathan Huberdeau, longtime member of the Panthers, along with the defenseman Mackenzie Weger, a prospect, Cole Schwint, and then a lottery-protected pick in 2025, or first rounder, that is. And Kachuk, not only does he get traded, but he signs right on the dotted line, eight years, $76 million, right off the bat. Now, you wonder why maybe the Panthers gave up a lot for Kachuk is because 
Kachuk is five years younger than Huberdeau. Huberdeau's 29, Kachuk 24. Therefore, they had to give up a little bit more in the process. And the Panthers, we know about their regular season last year. We talked about it. 122 points. President's Trophy winner. High-octane offense. They barely got by a first-round series against Washington and then got spanked by their upstate rival, the Tampa Bay Lightning, in four games to where there had to be a shakeup. We know Andrew Brunette was not the guy that was going to be the coach after what took place early in the year with Joe Quenville being exited and jettisoned because of the controversy that happened in Chicago a decade prior. And then Brunette came in, did an admirable job. Listen, when you're the President's Trophy winner in the sport, you know you're doing something right. But for all the expectations going into that postseason, a lot of people thought that they could have gone to the Cup and maybe even should have gone considering their talent and what they did in the regular season. But we all know that's not the case. So with Brunette gone and they bring in Paul Maurice, the one-time Winnipeg Jet coach. And then now you trade for Kachuk, who wants to be a part of this team. Mentioned that he's already looking for a house down there is already starting to become the leader that maybe the Panthers need to take your team to the next level. Kachuk is a little bit more of a fiery player. Wears his heart on his sleeve. We've seen the confrontations that he's had with Edmonton over the years with Zach Cassian. So he brings a little toughness. Brings a little edge. Maybe that's what the Panthers need. And I understand you're going to have to give up a lot to get something back. Kachuk coming off a career year. Same for Huberdeau for that matter, but this was an all-in trade, a very shrewd trade for the Panthers, and I think it's a good one, and it could bode well for them next year, knowing that they could take a next step in not only respectability throughout the league, but also in an Eastern Conference where the Rangers are going to be better, Tampa, although they lost some pieces, but you would think they're going to be still reckoned with in that conference, who knows about the Capitals, Carolina, the Hurricanes, they had a big year, but they lost another player here in free agency to Nashville in Nino Niederreiter. So the Hurricanes have taken a little bit of a step back. But the Panthers feel by bringing in this player and maybe rebuilding or reshaping the culture by bringing in this type of player to the organization is a smart move. And I think it's a good move. Yes, you may have given up a lot in the process, but you know what? If this guy is willing to be here and he's willing to become the guy that's going to carry this franchise, then you have to do it. And it was smart for the Panthers to do so considering they had to shake it up in some way, shape, or form because they fell flat on their faces against Tampa in that conference semifinal. And in coaching news, the San Jose Sharks hired David Quinn, the former Ranger coach. I don't know what the terms are. But Coach Quinn gets another shot. Maybe a little bit of a raw deal. I know the Rangers didn't perform well in his final year, which was the year before last. So Quinn gets another crack at this coaching gig in the NHL. So let's see how he does in San Jose. So all the best goes out to him. But I did like to trade Kachuk going to Florida. And let's see how that plays out once we get to the start of the year come October. And then lastly, I wake up this morning. And of course... When you wake up before I even brush my teeth, I got to see what happened in sports. So what do I see? A headline in the NBA where the Celtics are engaging in discussions for Kevin Durant. The first thing I had to rub my eyes a few times because I almost felt I was 
Maybe I wasn't reading that properly. But when I got to my senses and reading the article about Durant and maybe Jalen Brown being part of this package, and then of course, dare I even bring this up, the pick swaps in 2024 and 26, and then number one picks going in 2015, 17, and 19, that brought back visions of the Danny Ainge trade with Billy King, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and I've said this trade a million times over the last two months, it seems. But I said there was no way that the Celtics could now do the Nets a favor considering the favor that they did for us in the previous decade. The first thing I say to that trade is hell to the no. And here's why. No offense to Kevin Durant. I love him as a player. Obviously, he's going to be an upgrade to any team he goes to. thousand percent. But knowing that Tatum is your guy and your future, and we understand it's about winning a title. I get it. But Durant and Tatum play the same position. And before you say, well, same for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But at least with Brown and Tatum, you can mix and match to where, depending on the matchups on the floor, you could put Jalen Brown at the four, and you can have even Jalen Brown to two, for that matter, and you keep Tatum there at his three position. Durant, for all the years that he's put in, you're not going to toy with putting Tatum at the four and Tatum at the two because Durant is going to be your solid three. And at 33 years of age, and the medical history, especially of recent vintage, remember, he was out 17 games in the middle of the year last year. He's not getting any younger. And let's face it, he's not getting better. Yes, he's playing at an all-time high. And I understand that you can't discount that or dismiss it. But the injury history is going to scare you. And with four years and $198 million, and granted, is he the final piece to a championship puzzle? Potentially, yes. But underline the word, potentially. You could say that about anybody in the sport. And yes, you could risk all the capita in the future as far as number one picks because the Celtics will not be in the running for lottery picks. They're going to be picking in the 20s, you would think, if everything is intact as it is right this moment. So when you bring in Durant, it's probably going to be at the bottom of the draft rung, whether it's 26, 27, 28, etc. But I'm not going to bring in an aging superstar to be the anchor of this team when you bring in Gallinari, when you bring in Malcolm Brogdon, and I understand he is Kevin Durant. Arguably a top 15 player of all time. But if Tatum was a two guard, or if Tatum was a big, let's say a Carl Anthony Towns, not that I'm trying to compare, but my point is is that if they didn't have that wing player, if they didn't have that guy that was going to put up 25, 26, 28 in a sleep, I would say go for it. Why not? It's all about winning titles. But the argument is you already have a guy there that's younger, that's healthier, that's going to get better. Why are you going to bring in a guy that you already have the position filled, you already have a scorer, a guy that's on the wing that could do pretty much the same thing that Kevin Durant does? And then you're going to have to pay him? And then the big question mark, his health for the next four years? That's why you don't bring him in. And again, I love Kevin Durant. What's there not to love about him? He just got on TikTok the other day 
And if you saw his post, it's a little comical. And I understand because I just got on TikTok and I'm still navigating my way through that platform. But if I'm Brad Stevens and he's made some very good moves here, that's one I do not make. If Kevin Durant was 29 years old, and even with him playing the same position as Tatum, I would entertain it. Not at 33 years old. Uh Uh-uh. You cannot make that trade. That's just me. I'm sure I'm in the minority when it comes to that. I'm sure people saying, Jay Reels, what are you, nuts? You could win the title by bringing him in next year. But yeah, he plays the same position as Jason Tatum, who scores at the same clip. Granted, he doesn't have the experience. And yes, he went through a finals where he lost, similar to Kevin Durant in his first go-around when he was at Oklahoma City. But the injuries, that's what's going to scare me away. And then you're going to be well over the luxury cap as you already are now, the luxury tax, I should say. That's why I don't bring him in. I think the team is fine right now. I think the team, yes, could it use another rebounder, defensive presence down low? 100%. But do they need another wing player, a scorer who's similar to Jason Tatum, even if his name is Kevin Durant? They do not. Case closed. But hopefully they're just kicking the tires and just entertaining the thought because I'm sure Sean Marks, he's going to ask for the lucky leprechaun. I'm sure parts of the parquet floor. Maybe if some of Red Arback's cigars are somewhere in a humidor that they're still intact, I'm sure he's going to want those too for the services of Kevin Durant. I don't know. We shall see. My guys and gals, we shall see. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As you know, in conclusion, I'd like to say thank you for stopping by and giving your boy a shot to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. I truly appreciate it. Your participation is not taken for granted. So once again, thank you for passing by and listening, and of course, if you haven't done so, just like I said at the very top, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review, so we can increase the visibility as I'm working behind the scenes. As you all know, I'm a one-man operation. It's kind of hard to juggle a lot of different things. Actually, I have some merchandise coming up down the road, so you want to keep an eye out for that on my website as I've been trying to tweak that here and there. So you've been warned, T-shirts coming, and I'll just say T-shirts for now. i got some other things in the works. So, again, throw me a few stars. Write a review. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, you could do so, or suggestions at the following. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Whatever you want to send, please do so. I'll hit you up ASAP. And then lastly, and I have to concentrate on this more, again, being that one-man operation, kind of leaving it floating out in cyberspace. If you want to contribute, you could go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy, dot com slash the J Reels podcast. Whatever you want to put forth. I'm planning to increase this platform for those who subscribe to it. I put up a post about 10 days ago. I'm going to repost that in the coming days just to gain some traction there for those who want to put their hard-earned cash to this endeavor because 
This is what I do, people. This is what I love to talk about. I've been doing this for 275 episodes in four plus years, and I am not going anywhere. So whatever you want to contribute, I would forever and gratefully appreciate your contribution. This is what I love to do. Talking sports pretty much since birth, in the blood, in the DNA, spewing my thoughts, my opinions, my analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens. On the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>